Greetings, adventures, and welcome to a special episode of Return to EverQuest, a podcast where we revisit and discuss the classic game of EverQuest. In today's special episode, I'm going to be joined by my co-hosts, Derek and Carlos, and our special guest is going to be Mike Shea, also known as Sly Flourish for all you D&D fans out there. Mike is a renowned former EverQuest player, and as always, we're going to bring you some interesting insights into what it was like to play back then. So thank you for listening today to our show. Take the time to subscribe and leave those ratings and reviews that will help power level our show to the next level. So with that, Mike, welcome to being our first guest on Return to EverQuest. We are excited to have you here, and we want to give you a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you and EverQuest are related. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. This is a great pleasure, and it's real fun and nostalgic. My wife and I have been talking all about it since we, we talked about this podcast. We're like reminiscing about EverQuest stuff. So I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, known as Sly Flourish now, but known as Laurel Syriclite. Back in the days of of EverQuest. Oh, and, wow. Uh, okay. So yeah, there might be people out there who who remember a, a Laurel Cyric light from the Quelio server. So yeah, uh, but I think I started pretty early in EverQuest. You know, I'm going to get all the dates wrong. But it was like, you know, six months or a year after it first came out, before Kunark had come out. And, uh, you know, just getting killed outside of, of Freeport from rats and, you know, gnolls, <laughs> right? And falling down the well and befallen and like all the, all the stuff that the terrible things that can happen to you, you know, as that in the earliest days of that game. And uh, I had recently moved to Washington, D.C. for my job. I didn't have a lot of local friends. Uh, all I did was kind of go to my go to my job during the day. And, and, you know, I was into like home theater stuff at night, but, you know your money can only take you so far in that hobby. So I, I uh, got an EverQuest in a big way and, and met a lot of people through it and hung out with a lot of people. And so I spent a long time and I think I played it for a good, I don't know, a good six or seven years. Like, you know, it was obviously it's still around now. Yeah, but I played for like six or seven years and I really got into it. You know, I, I got into the, to the point where I wrote a lot about it. Uh, I started a blog about it. And then eventually got brought on as an author for, as the, the lead writer for a EverQuest website called Mob Hunter, which had previously been written by a fellow named Steve uh, Danizer, who was known as Morgard. And I loved Mob Hunter to death. I thought it was an awesome website. And I started writing as a guest on Mob Hunter from time to time. And then Steve actually got hired by Sony uh, and started working at EverQuest 2. And he's like, well, I can't keep a blog up about my own game anymore. So you can have it. So I started writing for Mob Hunter full time. And about this time, Sony would like reach out to both lead guild leaders of major big rating guilds and the community, you know, the, the community and the press. And I would get invited to these like junkets at Sony out in San Diego. And they like took us to the San Diego Zoo and totally like did all this stuff, right? And take us out to dinner and. And then they'd have these summits where we kind of talk about the problems of the game. And I'm like, how are you going to get more new people into this game? Right? Like you're, you're catering to all these jerks, right? Who've been playing forever and they don't care about new players, but your game is going to die if you don't find a new way to bring players in. And they just hated that. They just, you know, they hated like, you know, me, me saying like, you know, what are you going to do for like level one to 10 characters? And they're like, no one cares. I'm like, level one and 10 characters care and so yeah so I, I i did that for a long time and and i played for a long for for a while and then eventually warcraft came out ate a lot of the lunch of everquest uh and i started getting back into DD. and so i kind of transitioned away from everquest into DD. left it around then i i think i can actually find the the article where i where i basically left but it was like 2000 i guess it was about 2008 when i stopped playing so yeah i wrote for mob hunter from 2004 to 2008 
Yeah. With your character, Mike, your character Laurel, he was what from what I read, he was level 70. Yeah, he was he was whatever the max level was at the time, but wasn't okay. wasn't in a raiding guild. And I could talk all about the guild we had. And I used to I used to like uh hang out with people that were in raiding guilds. So it was really funny. And I'll get all I can talk all about the guild we were in, which is a very altruistic, like help the newbie kind of guild called Healers United. And what was hysterical is on our server. When uh, I think it was when the plane of time was like the final zone in, in, in planes of power. And the only guilds on our server that were there was like the number one rating guild and healers United. And it was because my character got in. Right. Nice. And it was the only one, that, the only one outside of all these. Right. And it drove all the other rating guilds crazy. Yeah. You know, like how did this guy for healers United get in plane of time? And I'm like, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was just crazy times. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we see that you have a lot of good uh, knowledge here to share with us. So we're going to, you know, have Derek, you want to take the first topic? We start diving right into it. Yeah, yeah. So I have two questions for you, Mike, uh, that I wrote down here. The first one is, can you mention some of the key features that you believe differentiate EverQuest from some of the modern hand-holding type MMOs? So, for example, I downloaded one recently called Black Desert Mobile. I think it came out in 2018. And you could free roam. But you could basically click, it tells you where your next destination is, and you just click a button and the character automatically takes a route there. So everything is just click, 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 one clicks, and you go from this destination to that destination, basically playing itself. So what do you think some of the key differences are from EverQuest to these types of new MMOs that are coming out? Yeah, so I have no idea what happened to EverQuest like after a certain period of time, because I, I just didn't pay any attention. And I think the last, I'm trying to find it here. I'm going through all my Mob Hunter articles. So Secrets of Fadewar, I think was like the last, and that was back in 2007. That was sort of the last expansion that I ever paid any attention to. So I only know what happened from before then. But like, it, you know, I think a major difference is like, it did not hold anybody's hand. Uh, EverQuest did not hold anybody's hand to, you know, <laughs> right? in that game. And, and it's, and it's funny because a lot of people hang on to that, like, you know, remembering how brutal that game was like you going out and getting killed and having all your stuff in a pile with like four ghouls around it. And there's no way for you to go and get your, you're going to just lose it. Right. Like your gear yeah. is gone. Or I don't know if you guys like plane of fear, right? Like in the earliest days, the plane of fear was like a dare zone. The developer said like, we don't expect anybody to go there and actually spend any time because you're going to get killed and you're going to lose all your stuff. Like that's, what's going to happen in plane of fear. And people went and raided there anyway. And like, I remember we, we had a raid in the plane of fear where our guild wiped out. So we lost everybody, which meant all the, our gear was gone. All our corpses were against one wall and we're trying to do corpse runs to get back there. And you're trying to like, you just have naked people running through the zone, trying to train all the monsters away so that the one cleric could make it to that back hill, grab the click stick, you know, and respect everybody, oh, you know, and, get, and they kept getting wiped out. So they brought in other guilds to come help. And like these hardcore raiding guilds are like, fine, we'll go in there and help you. And then they wiped out. And then another guild came in and they wiped out. And we had, we were there for like 12 hours straight. It was like four in the morning. I took the day off from work. I called in sick. Because like we we were we were up all night trying to get our gear back and just you know and like you're dying over and over so you're losing all your experience and you know it was just so like there's not anything in like no game can get away with that now like no you know I don't care like I I play Dark Souls games right and I love them and they're not nearly as bad as that was right like everybody talks about how the Souls games are like they're gonna grind you to the ground I'm like no no they do not tell me tell me about camping a monster for forty hours straight. Right. That's a hard game. 
So, you know, and I don't hold that like it's a badge of honor. I'm like, that's a flaw, right? And like, Warcraft never had to do anything like that. So, you know, yeah. So, th- like, there's just, there's just, there, it was so, it was so, but it's also beautiful at the same time, like, just to be in a world, right? To be in this world with these other people and, and to like go to the, you know, like they had, like in Ruins of Kunark, there was this, this, I forget what they called it. It was like a, dead dead deadlands or something it was a there was a wall of, of along a castle and everybody would just sit in groups along that wall waiting for monsters to wander by and they'd pull it and kill it and then pull it and kill it and you'd stay in these groups for like a whole day you know like a whole real life day just pulling mobs and killing them just so you could get enough experience to try to get to the next level and all these people along the wall you knew them all because they were all the same losers like you were that were just spending an entire day doing this and you, so you'd be chatting with them and talking to them and meanwhile you're pulling mobs so it's like a chat room with you know a thing to do and yeah it was just amazing but like all all that you know like the games have gotten so refined now uh, that like you're talking about where you like you click a quest, the quest gives you a marker to show you how to get there. You go, you do the marker, you go back and you, you know, you, you ding and you get a level. And like, you know, the games don't even have death anymore, <laughs> like much less losing all your gear, much less losing experience points, you know, on, on death and everything like that. They were, it was just brutal. That's why yeah. I believe, you know, now you have all these games, like you said, like the one we just discussed, uh, Black Desert Mobile, they're so easy. Yeah. That- to go for a player to go from that to EverQuest, I, right. I can't see how that transition could happen. They would quit in in, in yeah, right. There's you cannot make it. And even back then, so I'm trying to remember. So before Sony bought EverQuest, it was owned by another company. I can't remember the name. Maybe you guys know Varant Interactive. I believe yeah, Varant, Varant. Yeah, and and the guys that that sold it to EverQuest then quit and then made their own game company and said, "We're going to make a new version of." an MMO that's going to have that same hard mode that EverQuest has. And it died. Like they, they never got it done. Right. And they never, and it never, you know, nobody went, nobody was actually that interested. Like in, when it was in beta, nobody was playing it because nobody wanted to go through that crap again. Right. <laughs> like, they like, we did that. And the, there's a lot of people, this is, this is a good lesson in, in all things where you have a really loud group of people who says we want a thing. And it turns out there's like five of them, you know, and they actually, and even those guys don't really want it. Right. They, they say they want it because they want to they want to want it, but they don't really want it. You know, and I, I see that. So like in, in the world of D&D, I think we see this with tier four stuff. You know, like I've, I've been in conversations with people who are who are like, like, you know, if only there was more if only Wizards of the Coast put out more level 17 to 20 content, more people would be playing that. And I'm like, that's not true. Right? <laughs> like there's a lot of people who think they want to play that. They actually don't. And there's a lot of stuff for them and nobody buys it. So, you know, it's, it's the same, the same kind of problem. You can be very loud and follow them. And it turns out that's not right. Yeah. Sorry. uh, For the folks that are not uh, for D and D, what what does tier four mean? Tier four is high level stuff. So uh, D and D has a uh, one to two levels, levels one to 20 is the, the the key levels for D and D and tier four is considered level 17 to 20. It's sort of the, you know, the, you're, you're the guys traveling to the outer planes, fighting demon princes and, and, and arch devils. And, you know, getting involved in like s- truly superheroic activities. You have spells like Time Stop and Meteor Swarm and Wish that can like completely alter the fabric of the universe. And it turns out it's really hard to write adventures for people like that. So, so you know, they don't. And like my, my, my good friend, Jameson Urcaso, a well-pub- you know, well-published author for D&D Adventures, wrote one of my favorite adventures of all time called, called Invasion of the Planet of Tarasks, which is hysterical because the, uh, the Tarask is like, 
considered the most powerful D or one of the most powerful D and D monsters. It's actually not that bad, but that's a whole other topic. And he wrote one about a planet of them, right? Where like you literally go and at one point you fight a hundred Tarasks, you know, and, and I played it. He, he ran it for a bunch of us at a game and it was an outstanding game and I love it. And it's, and it, he's like, yeah, it doesn't sell. Right. Like nobody, nobody buys it. Right. It's like, it's this outstanding adventure and nobody buys it. It's one of those things that kind of like we, we learned playing, coming back to EverQuest. So at the beginning yeah. of our, when you hear our first podcast episodes, you know, Derek and Carlos, I think we're, we're kind of like reminiscing about the corpse runs and the med time and all that <laughs> hardcore stuff. And I, you know, I'm like, look, I wasn't all into that, but, and they changed it now. So when you go back to, uh, play everquest now it's, yeah you meditate and you re you get all your health and mana back in like right. 45 seconds man it took and us hours yeah you, you realize like now like the quality of life improvements mm. you need those new players to come yeah, into you'll your game never play you right yeah. yeah as a cleric i had to stare at my spell book to get mana back which meant 99.5 percent of my time was just looking at the same spell book image i never got to see anybody fight anything i never got to see any of the monsters i never got to look at anything I had to stare at my spell book to get my mana back. And it took like 15 minutes to get your mana back. It took forever. You know what's funny, Mike, with, with the spell book, look, staring at the spell book. I remember before they changed that when my brother and I were playing on a Peaver River and you're sitting there staring at a spell book and a guy comes over and whacks you over the head because you can't see him coming and you're dead. <laughs> oh, I had a really funny, I, I, you know, if I, I can, I, if I can change, you know, still about EverQuest, but when I talked about those community things that we went to, one of my favorite moments was like how they had all these guild leaders from all of these different guilds that were talking about the overcrowding of uh, high level zones. And I remember there was one dude and he looked, he was the, the guild leader for the number one guild on Ralos Zek, which was the number one PVP server. Yeah. And I remember like all these people are arguing and he's like sitting back with his fingers on his chest. He's sort of looking up at the ceiling and they're like, is this a problem for you? He's like, no, we're the only guild that is in any of the high planes. And they go, why? He goes, because we make sure if we, we have people who camp out at this one place to get keys and we make sure nobody is ever going to get the keys to get to those high level zones, but us. Yeah. Like we, we will murder anybody that tries to get those keys, which means half of the expansion is only for us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like people are paying $20 for an expansion. And they're not ever going to see it because this group, he's like, we never worry about overcrowding because we are the number one, you know, we're the number one guild on a PVP server, which means we murder everybody below us. And it was such a, like, I was, you know, it just was hysterical. Like all the other guild leaders are just laughing because it's like. Well, imagine, Mike, you go there, uh, you try to break the rules, you go there to get yeah. a key and they kill you and your corpse yeah. is there. And yeah, now you're, was it. Yeah. you're done. You can't right. get your corpse. Well, anybody that anybody that was like this was in the the plane. I, I think we were talking about this during the planes of power days, and there were like keys that you had to get in order to get to the next level to your planes, right? And they and there was like one you had to get. There, there was like four you had to get that you could get relatively easily, but there was one that was pretty hard. And they would just have people waiting there to see if anybody would go there to get it. And, and anybody that was powerful enough to be able to get to that zone to get that key knew better than to actually go get it. Right. Like nobody would do it on accident. Nobody would break the rules because it wasn't worth it. Like and anybody that far knew that this guild had and the only way you're ever going to get in is join that guild. I got one more question for you, Mike. So what, in your opinion, what role did the EverQuest community play during the early days of the game? Uh, and this is especially regarding the discovery of epic weapon quests. Yeah. Well, the discovery... I don't remember much about the discovery of epic weapons because they, you know, and I think it's still the same way that again, like everything else, you know, and 
looking at game again, like I'm, I play a lot of dark souls games and like, you know, if you go online, you'll find every little secret about every little secret door in dark souls, you know, by looking online. And back then, like the quests were pretty well known. They got well known pretty quickly. Right. So there was a little bit of, of people saying like, Hey, we finally discovered it. But once it got, I mean, there were, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people playing. I don't know if they quite had millions of people playing, but they had hundreds of thousands of people playing. They were figuring out those quests. The interesting thing was how the community dealt with the quests once they were in place. And the one, so I, I, I'm pretty sure this is true that the most powerful and most sought after epic weapon was the resurrection stick, the resurrection flail that clerics got. And it was because it was the one thing that a guild needed in order to be able to have a cleric resurrect an entire guild of people uh, in much less time, right? Because it had no, it didn't use any mana and only took 10 seconds. So that means what would normally take minutes to resurrect a bunch of people took seconds. So it was a really sought after epic weapon. I was lucky enough to be a cleric and to also get that weapon. But to get that weapon, um, you had to go through this enormous quest where most of it you could kind of do on your own. But there were these parts where you had to raid in order to do them. And one of them was you had to go into the, uh, the it was like a, it was a red dragon's lair. I don't remember the name of the dragon. Uh, but there was a red dragon's lair that had a bunch of fire giants guarding it. And it oh, meant Na like- Nagafin? Nagafin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Nagafin. So in Nagafin's lair, in his big hall where Nagafin is, uh, uh, every seven days, a, a priest of fire would appear. And when that guy appeared, you could hand him uh, an item that you had been building all along in this quest. You'd hand him the item and he would hand you back the 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 like the last piece you needed for the epic and then turn into a boss mob and you'd have to fight him. I think he turned into a dragon and you had to beat him as a dragon. And then when you killed the dragon, you got the thing, right? The problem was it was every seven days for the whole server that he would show up. So if you've got a bunch of clerics who won it, they have to take turns every seven days, right? So our guild, our, our server had a had a message board where everybody on the server would go. And they had a whole forum dedicated to who's next in line for this thing. Like they, they just said, like, you know, we're, you know, I, I don't, I, they had a this set, they had some way of enforcing it, right? But it was sort of this server generated again, it was one of these things like if you were powerful enough to get there, you 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 were you were you know, you were well known enough that you'd follow the rules and, and not try to not try to jump ahead of somebody. But you didn't know his his spawn rate was somewhere between four to seven days. So you didn't even know exactly. I think I, I might be getting it wrong. I think it might have been like three to five days or something like that was his range of time. So if, you, if it was your turn, you had to clear the way to him. Make sure the dragon is dead that lives in there. Make sure he's not coming back and he didn't come back very often. And then you sat there for literally three to five days waiting for the guy to show up. And then you'd hand him a thing. So I, I got on the list and I did it, right? And I, I remember it was like a Memorial Day weekend or something. So I had like four days off anyway. I took a fifth day off from work and I, and I ordered a bunch of food and I got a bunch of movies and I loaded up my machine and I moved my character that spot. My guild knew I was doing it. I had friends in other raiding guilds that I could call on when I needed them to show up and, and kill the dragon. And, and I sat there for like 17 to 20 hours a day for four days. And my, my, my wife now, who was my girlfriend, I don't even know if she was my girlfriend back then. I think she was. She's either my friend. She, she was a friend of mine or we, I don't remember if we were dating yet. And, and I asked her like, can you just watch it for this four hour time so I can sleep a little bit? 
if it shows up, you can, you just, I said, is I will turn the volume way up on my, on my receiver and I'll put a speaker in my bedroom. So if you just cast a spell, I'll hear it. I'll wake up and I'll come running. Right. And I remember that one of the tricks was you could cast a, you, she had a wolf pet and the wolf pet would turn and look at the nearest monster. So you could see, are the fire giants respawning? Because if they are, I got to call in a group to come and kill them. And they only come like seven, six to eight hours. And so she had this wolf that would pivot to, to show if those were coming, but the wolf would howl. And all night for those four hours, I would hear the wolf howling and it gave me the craziest nightmares, you know, cause it was like so sleep deprived anyway. And now I'm hearing this wolf that's howling in my room. Cause I have this big speaker in there. And Do you remember seeing it pop. Was yeah, it your life? Yeah, I was there. No. So it was during my, during my shift. And it popped up and I like immediately like the adrenaline just like, you know, I'm shaking. I'm literally shaking. And I call, I, I'm like, okay, he's here. Now I've got to get people here. And it was like five in the morning on Sunday and like, who's playing. Right. And guess what? It's a bunch of Koreans and a bunch of, you know, it's a bunch of people overseas. Luckily I had friends that I didn't even speak. They didn't speak English and I didn't speak Korean. I think they're Korean. They might've been German or Korean or something, but they were overseas. And so I just said, like, you know, can you help with this guy? And the guy's like, yeah. And I accidentally called two guilds in to help because I didn't know I was going to get the first one. And they didn't like each other. So now I had two guilds of people that showed up at the same time who don't like each other. And they're mad. And they're kind of mad at me. But neither of them speak English. And I don't speak their language. So we and, then, and then in the middle of all of this negotiation, I'm also worried they're going to crash the server because that used to happen. And, and I'm... And I'm and then all of a sudden, one of them attacked the guy before I had turned in the quest thing. Oh, and my like, he's really easy to kill if you didn't turn in the quest thing. And I had to like scream, stop. And I remember like not being able to type to try to say stop. There was no voice, right? There was no voice oh, communication at all. So trying to type stop attacking and please. And somebody had to like mesmerize him to get him to not be hostile anymore. And I handed it in and he turned into the dragon and they killed it like in a, in a second. They, there's so many people there. It's so powerful. Killed him in a second. I grabbed the thing and I like ran, I, I teleported out and I was like, oh, you know, and it, there is no game experience like that That's an ever awesome again. Story, man. Right? Now, it would be funny if it was a Peaver's peace server and he called in two gills that hate each other. Just wipe each other out. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure like I was talking about where they were, where they were limiting. Now I remember Ralozek was the boss that they were holding onto that had the key. And uh, it was the same thing. Like they no no PVP guild would let anybody else get into that place. You know, it was like lockdown. Yeah. I'm going to have to believe that, you know, Michelle will have to answer this later on to you, but I, I would imagine yeah. that's the moment she knew you'd be a committed husband. If you're committed <laughs> yeah. you're 20 hours a day, also showed, like, that's the, the man her, that she wants to, to marry. Take, yeah. <laughs> for her to be able to take like the graveyard shift, Yeah, yeah. you know, same thing. Like, man, that's devotion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> She'll stay up one to four, but we were uh, both complete addicts, you know? So like we just fed off our own. I mean, if, when we did date and everything like that, I remember the big the big thing was I built a whole second EverQuest station in our in my apartment so she could come for weekends and just we just sit next to each other and play EverQuest all day. Oh, wow. Right? So, awesome. yeah, yeah. So that was that was that was yeah. crazy, crazy times. So, uh, Carlos, I think you got a question from Mike next. You want to touch on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Anthony. <laughs> I'm actually quite curious about this, Mike, and, and I hope you can entertain us with, with a few of the questions. 
So, Mike, you were fortunate to tap into the direct source of power that really dictates the fate of us mortals playing EQ. <laughs> and I believe you already touched on this question, but if you can indulge us again, how did that relationship between you as a player and the developer start? So it, it started just because I, I, I obsess about whatever hobby I'm into. Uh, completely, I just dive in, you know, with whatever. And so I wrote a lot about it. And I wrote for a bunch of different websites. There was a website called Caster's Realm, and I wrote blog articles for them. Um, I've also been writing forever, too. So it was easy for me to just throw words up on the internet. And there, it wasn't a huge, you know, the community wasn't massive. So it really wasn't that hard to make a make a name if you were willing to just constantly put energy, not be a complete schmuck, right? Which immediately takes half of the people out, you know? And, and, and just, you know, if you wrote, any if you had reasonable discourse at all uh you know you could you could kind of come to the attention of 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 you know the people at at sony and stuff like that because it, it just wasn't that big right it wasn't i don't think it was millions i think i think it was in the high mid to high hundreds of thousands of players overall uh so i think that that you know th that did it that did part of it and there were some people so so everquest had a big identity problem with who they were building the game for were they building it for pe new people to come in and play, you know, the quote unquote casuals, as they were referred to back then, or for the, the hardcore raiders, right? And I think probably the majority of the company leaned towards the raiders, because if you looked at the expansions that came out, the amount of raid content was really high. And they always said, like, we need this is the group that needs more content. They need more stuff because they'll grind through it and they'll be done and then we'll lose them. So we constantly have to put more stuff in for them. But I was always like, you know, you're, 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 you're talking about like 1%, right? Like, you know, and the Raiders were like, no, we count. We're like, we're a big deal. And I'm like, you're literally like 1%, right? And so they're like, stop saying that. And I'm like, hey, Sony, how big are they? And they're like, eh, well, well, less than 1%. And I was like, right, right, under 1%, right? So I was one of the few people that would, they would say things like, how are you going to get more content for people to, you know, that aren't in a raiding guild who, you know, have jobs and lives and wives and kids. And, and so I wrote about it and there were other people who were like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Like we got to think about it. And I don't think they ever really got there. Um, but yeah, that's when they sort of got more attention. You know, they, they paid more attention to, to what I was talking about and with a lot of other people, right. There were a whole bunch of people. This is like the earliest days of blogging too. Right. So any, anybody that could put up an EverQuest blog that wrote consistently, would eventually come to their attention. Um, and, and that's why they would kind of bring a lot of people together. And there were a lot of people that were class focused people. There was like, you know, forums, there were, there was a message form for every class, you know, so there's the fighter form and there was the, you know, wizard form and everybody, you know, and then you go to that form to learn more about your class. So they were advocates for the class. Our class needs X, our class needs Y. And, and then there were the rating guilds who were like, our rating guild needs X and Y. And I always felt like I'm one of the only people that was like, what about, everybody who's not in a rating guild and we don't really care about their class, right? Like how about everyone else? And so I tried to like advocate, advocate for them, like this silent majority, right? Where they don't even know what they want. And on occasion they got stuff. There was a, there was an expansion called, um, uh, lost dungeons of Norath. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time they had instancing in EverQuest. Yeah. It was the first time that you could go into a, and you know, a zone and not be overwhelmed with a bunch of other people. And you could go on these single group quests. There was four types of quests, kill a boss, kill some lieutenants, kill all the bad guys. Or, uh, I, I guess it was like a collect, you know, collect four things, 
uh, and rescue somebody. And no one ever wanted to rescue somebody because the AI for the NPC was terrible. And you'd always, they'd always run into monsters and get killed. And, <laughs> and you could, you, you could basically go on these dungeons and earn points or coins or something. And then you could go and buy gear. And it was like this wonderful new system where like now world of Warcraft has it baked in. Right. But like back then it was this whole, like, wow, I can actually get a decent breastplate without having to camp a raid mob. Right. I can actually just go do these quests. And it was, Oh, so much. Better. And I was like more of that. Like give us more instances, like do more. Like you, there's only four zones. Like it was so small, right? It was four zones with four different kinds of things that you could do. And, and they sort of multiplied a little bit. Like it was different kinds of monsters and different kinds of tricks and different kind of zone, but they got pretty stale after a while. Mm -hmm. And we're like, do like eight more. Right. And you would expand out so greatly. Um, sure. so yeah, so they, so they did, but yeah, one of the funny things we used to talk about was the meta, the meta game of EverQuest where you could get an item and the item might be powerful, but even better was convincing a developer to make it more powerful. Right. <laughs> and so a lot of times like the meta game was working the developers, right. And like, if you knew them, you could just kind of needle in and sort of explain why this spell does, or this, the shield doesn't work quite right in this circumstance. And then there'd be a patch and you're like, man, my shield just became twice as good. And I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to earn a new shield. Right. I like my existing gear got better. So, so that was like the, the meta game that you'd play if you, if you knew who you were talking to. That is a, a great segue to my next question, actually, because I was going to ask you how much did your, personal characters really influence your advice to the developers on, on upgrading the gear were you you know did you try to keep it unbiased and objective or were you leaning more towards your favorite class no i, I definitely tried to, i i think i i can i can almost objectively say i was certainly less biased than everybody else that was at those summits right because every one of them was like hey it's what's her name who runs the enchanter forum talking about enchanter stuff or it's the raiding guy talking about the raid that he's working on and i'm like i'm the only one who's like i'm not in a raiding guild i'm i play a cleric but i don't I'm, clerics are fine like i don't need anything so uh, yeah i i really felt like i wanted more interesting content that was more digestible by more people and 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 i think i was i was vindicated in a way certainly vindicated in one way because warcraft ended up doing all of that stuff and they just had 10 times more people, like right out of the gate, had 10 times more people playing that than EverQuest. And I eventually switched, right? Like my wife and I both switched over to play World of Warcraft for a long time. So yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I think they could have gotten there. They had, they had the framework, but they were so interested in focusing on raiders and, and the, the, the staff too, right? Like they had other games. And so they, the sort of the hardcore EverQuest people who wanted to work on EverQuest, who were raiding guild people, right? Like, they had friends that were still in the raiding guilds that they're, they're developing towards. So it became this, like, let's just focus on those guys. And I remember like they had a, they had a, um, an expansion called dragons of Norath. And I used to call it goblins of Norath because it was like, other than you know, these, these 28 people who are going to raid, no one is seeing any dragons, right? There's not one zone with a dragon. And they're like, well, you can't just fight a dragon at, you know, with six people. And I'm like, I don't know. In D&D, &D, we do it all the time. But okay, let's say no. How about having one fly by, right? How about we can see it, right? Like, I can't even see one of your dragons. And they're like, well, we want to keep it special. I'm like, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. keep it special. I'm like, people paid 30 bucks for this expansion. I say the same kind of thing about D&D &D stuff these days, too. I'm like, people, people paid 30 bucks, right? And 20 of that $30 went to you making dragon models. And they don't actually get to see a dragon model, right? Like, 
help him out. So yeah, that, that, those are the, those are some of the things that I, that I, I'd argue about all the time. So, so let me, let me kind of tie that in. Cause we're getting, you know, closer to wrapping up here, but I want oh to tie God. in. Are we really? Two questions. Well, well you know, hey, we're, it's good stuff. Time's <laughs> flying by. But let me ask you this. So we're 22 years now, this week, since yeah. EverQuest wow. first launched. That's how you know long it's been. Holy cow, yeah. And so do you think uh, that there can be an EverQuest comeback? No. Okay, no, then that's just kind of... Let me ask this. Not necessarily, not necessarily the game itself, but it also tie into the to another segue, but like, the the lore, the intellectual property itself. Do you think uh, you know that can tie to that D and D obsession, or you know, sure. can they can they marry up? Or... Did somebody try? I thought they had an RPG. I they thought did. there was a yeah tabletop EverQuest RPG. Two thousand three. Yeah, they had okay. the thing. I think White Wolf Games is the one who ran it, and uh, I believe it was moderately successful. They had about I think twenty books done for it. Oh wow, okay. But it was three point five edition D and D. Yeah, sure. I mean, could they? Sure. And, you know, the question is who cares, right? And how many people are out there who care? Mm. And, and, and whether or not, you know, I think, I, I, you know, there's room. Sure. I mean, there was a Wendy's RPG. So of course there could be an EverQuest <laughs> RPG, right? Like, you know, we yeah. can do, I mean, making a book is way cheaper than making a game, right? And then make a, a computer game. So yeah, I, 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 the question is like, who, are there enough people that are nostalgic enough about it that they're willing to play an RPG? Like, I think it'd be fun. I enjoy. Uh, a, a book that like talked about all of the stuff in EverQuest just so I could put on my coffee table and reminisce. But like, I loved it. And I wrote, I wrote like 10 novels worth of fan fiction uh, about EverQuest. Right. And, and it's wow. so, you know, I wrote fan fiction that made its way into the lore of the game because the developers didn't know that I made it up. Right. <laughs> they, they would hit my site and see it and think, Oh, that must be true. And put it into the game. I'm like I made that up and you put it in. So yeah, I mean, like, you know, so I love the lore. I love the lore, but I don't like, I don't know if I need to play D&D in there, <laughs> right? Like, I think I'm, I, you know, I mean, it had great stuff. It was, it, and, and, you know, it'd be fun. And maybe, maybe if you could get a group together, you know, uh, uh, that all played EverQuest to then play like, hey, do we want to do a D&D game in EverQuest? And you could go to Lower Guck, right? And you could go to, you know, go to, go to Kunark and, and, you know, face the emperor, you know, there'd be a lot of fun i think that you could do a lot of fun things there mm. um the question is like you know if at speaking as a publisher right Anthony, yeah. you know that too like oh, yeah. are, are enough people nostalgic that it's worth going through the effort of putting together a product like that you know i don't know maybe interesting so final uh or kind of one thing i wanted to know final question for me and then the other guys can ask if they want any closing things here but you've had a DD obsession and you've had a neverquest obsession yes Yep. So in your experience, are those two kind of the same or are they different? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? So they are they are the same in one way and very different in another. Uh, they are the same in that like I, I'm totally obsessed about D&D now, right? But I, I, I control all of it, right? Like I, it does not matter what Wizards of the Coast puts out for D&D. I can do whatever I want with my game and I can write whatever I want for my game. I could never be a content creator for EverQuest like I can be a content creator for 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 D and D, right? Where I wrote a bunch of fan fiction, I could never put it in a book and sell it, right? It was all their intellectual property. I mean, technically, I couldn't even put it up on the web, right? But they uh, would let us do it, and they'd have these sort of fan site things where they'd kind of allow you to do that sort of thing. But with D and D, that's not true, right? With I mean, short of like writing for Forgotten Realms, 
But like I but with the DMs Guild, we can do that, right? So now it's like whatever the developers decide to do for D&D, whatever the designers for D&D decide to do, I get to decide what I want to do with it. And they even tell me that that's true. So like, you know, you can sort of think of like Xanathar's Guide to Everything and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything as sort of major expansions for EverQuest or for, for, for D&D. But I get to decide what... I want to bring in. And they say it right in the beginning of the book. Like you decide which of these parts of the book you want to bring to your game, which means as a DM, I have a hundred percent authority over what we want to do over the game. It's real, you know, kind of, I have the authority along with the players that are sitting there, right. To decide what we want to do with our game. And that can be completely independent from anyone else's game. Nothing that happens at their game and any other game has to happen in ours. And that's completely different than EverQuest where you absolutely were at the beck and call of what Sony decided was a good idea for the game. You know, and it's a very different experience. And that's why, like, I, you know, I hope I play ever, I hope I play D&D, you know, till the day I die, where EverQuest is like, I, you know, I don't know, like, am I going to keep, you know, I stopped, right, eventually. I and, mean, you, you could camp till the day you die, technically. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I almost did, right? You, you know, you yeah, four days, four days straight was pretty, pretty brutal. Hey, Mike, that, 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 that leads me. This is something I want on you. It was uh, your article that you wrote. I saw on your website you had you regularly publish articles to this day, and one of them that I saw was interesting. I think it was your most popular one was "Playing D and D Can Save Your Life." That's what the title of it. Yeah. yeah. And th- so this was written in December of 2019. I want to mention to the to our audience uh, some of the key things I brought from that is um, it says it's an 80 year study that followed the lives of 724 men, and what that study had found was that the quality of their relationships with others mattered more towards their happiness and health than just about any other factor. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very interesting. And the other factors would be money, fame, the, the pursuit of career. Yeah. And then on the flip side, uh, it says loneliness kills. Being frequently lonely can be as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's, that's very interesting. And you state that you're happiest when you play D&D with your friends and family. And uh, it gives you a purpose for getting together with friends and family. And for people that feel guilty about playing D&D, it's like you say that it's like feeling guilty about going to the gym because it contributes so much to your health. Uh, I thought that was so interesting. And the last thing from that article that I thought was interesting was uh, when you speak of the inner ring by C.S. Lewis. So I studied Christian apologetics and C.S. Lewis is, as you probably know, is a Christian apologist, but it says, uh, instead of worrying whether some other game is better than our own or some other group of people is better than our own group of people, let's remember that our group is pretty great and love the ones we're with. So instead of worrying about, you know, Matt Mercer's D&D game, which you mentioned, you know, worry about what the game that you're playing now, that's your inner circle. And that's where you're going to be the most happiest, because once you get into Matt Mercer's game you're going to be in the pursuit of some other person's imagine, group. Imagine how nervous you'd be at Matt Mercer's game. Like, exactly. You're, you're yeah. not going to be like relaxed with your friends. <laughs> you're going to be freaking I, out. Yeah. I really think that what, what you're pointing out there is also important, especially for 2020 and how everybody has been, you know, so I guess isolated. Um, so I think this is a, a, you know, a good way to interact with, with friends and families and, and uh, to, you know, kind of stave off the loneliness, especially now that everybody is yeah. pretty much so the, the interesting thing about that article is I wrote another article back in, I don't even know when I wrote this, two, the early 2000s called Why I Play EverQuest. Mm-hmm. And it is very similar to the, you know, D&D Can Save Your Life article. 
talking about what what are the things that drive me to keep playing EverQuest when I was deep in the middle of it. And, you know, I have these like four rules or five rules for it. And and one of them are the, like the items, levels, characters and worlds will fall apart in 10 years. What will you walk away with? Right. Oh, and wow. it's like 10 years. How will you look back at your time? And do you consider it wasted because you don't have fancy gear? You know, and I said the, the, the fun times you had with your friends are going to matter more than any gear you'll get. Right. And it's right. like, you know, the, the shield, you know, those people who helped you get your shield. Like I married I married the lady who helped me get my click stick. Right. That's that's that that relationship and the story that we can share about that matters more than the click stick now, which has been dormant, you know, for you know, fifteen years, right? And 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 so it's that same thing. And and I think that that was really the power that EverQuest had. I do not. So I had I had ninety five hundred played hours in EverQuest when I when I stopped playing ninety five hundred wow. on my main character. So I didn't quite hit the ten thousand hour Malcolm Gladwell rule, but I was really close. And I don't consider any hour of that wasted. Like I even sitting on the North wall in Kunark, staring at my spell book, you know, pulling monsters. I met a lot of fun people and we had a lot of great conversations. I was a lonely dude hanging out in DC by myself. And I, and yet I had all these people I could chat with all day. Right. And, and what I'd have TV up on the other screen, you know, and, and I just, I had a, I had a great time and yeah. So, so yeah, I think that that same drive that shows how important D and D is by getting having an having a reason to get together with your friends and family and play, like you know, being isolated and during COVID, all my games moved online, right? And so I have two games a week that we play on on over Discord, and I've had my you know I've certainly felt that this way. I've told this to them, but I've had friends who were like, I don't know what this would have been like if I didn't have these games. Right. That like it would suck to, you know, be going down to your home office and work, work at your day job and then watch TV and then repeat that for a year, you know, and they said, but having a game on Wednesday night or having a game on Sunday, you know, has has made a lot of all the rest of this, you know, better because we have a connection to people that isn't. Yeah. And we have this nice connection with people. We have a reason to get together. It's not some weird after work Skype, you know, Zoom meeting it's it's a good time so and i and i feel that 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 same that same drive was there when i was playing everquest too well to put it in perspective your 9500 hours are just calculated it's 395 days logged into the game just yep. so people get that in perspective yep. wow yeah over about wow. 10 years i think i i think my whole i think my everquest run was no i couldn't have been yeah it was real close to 10 years i think i was like trailing off you know at the mm-hmm. at the 10 year mark yeah um yeah, so so the the bulk of that was the first six or seven years from about ninety nine, and I remember like nine eleven, you know, happened when we were playing EverQuest. Like I wasn't, you know, I was actually at work, um, wow. right right across the river from um from National Airport when the when the plane hit National Airport. Hmm. But like that night, my my wife who worked in the guard got called it got called up right, and she's like, I gotta go, I gotta go down to the Pentagon and help. <laughs> right? It's wow. like we were managing that in EverQuest, right? Wow. So it's like, yeah, it's so, so yeah, it was, I mean, it was crazy times. Yeah. One, I have one last question since obviously Laurel is a cleric and yeah. Tick Winks, my, my, my scrappy new cleric actually has a question for you. Uh-oh. Uh, so do you have any advice on, on how to be the most efe- effective in, in such a demanding group as ours? Yes. Wait, but specifically with a wizard that loves AOE spells. Uh, well, I will, I will offer you the most fun I had playing EverQuest as a cleric was being relatively high level 
and hanging out of relatively low level zones uh, and buffing up new characters. Right. Right. So, yeah. So we had a guild called Healers United and our goal wasn't to raid. Our goal was to help everyone else survive Norath. And we had every week we had a thing called the the mush, which was the the mobile healers United surgical hospital where, (laughs) where, uh, 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 shaman and druids and clerics, anybody, the only, the only rule for being in healers United was you had to have some spell that could heal. And we allowed necromancers, but we were always like iffy on the necromancers, right? Cause like they can kind of heal themselves by draining life out of things. We're like, I guess they count. Yeah, right. They could give mana. So necromancers were allowed. But and, and so and and what you would do is we would go there and we would announce to the zone the, the mush is up and new, you know, we would watch these level five people come running up and we'd buff them with these. I don't know if they still allow it, but you could drop these huge buffs on them that made them like 10 times more effective. And then they could go into what was uh what was the name of the haunted uh un unrest? So like we would we would sit outside the, the zone to unrest. And we'd buff the hell out of people. And then they go in and unrest and they go level up and they would like come out and they come up all beat up. And they're like, cause you, you drop these things on them. That would give them like, you know, 30 times their hit points, right? They'd be like level four, but they had a level 70 buff on them. And, and they'd have this huge pool of hit points. And so they come out and they're like, I can't heal. Like I don't, my heal spells are healing me for five and six. And I've got 130, right? And so we like drop a heal on them and their hit points go up with the full and they go back in and spend another hour. So that that was the most fun I had. And like, even specifically, there was uh, Befallen. Do you remember the dungeon Befallen? I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So right outside of Freeport, like one zone away, uh, was this dungeon that was a relatively low level dungeon, but it had a well in it, right? And the well... If you you would try to look down and the angle of the well was such that if you saw the bottom, you were falling in it. And everybody would try to peek, like, what's down there? And they go, ah, oh, and they'd fall and die. And and at the bottom were a bunch of ghouls that would just eat you. And and they were way harder than anything up above. So we used to just sit out there. I would you have friends of mine and be like me and a druid and like a, a, you know, a couple other people. And we would just sit there and we'd watch new players like run up to us and we'd be like, hey, and then they'd run into Befallen and then we'd be like, well, we'll be seeing them in a minute. And then they come up naked and they're like, we fell down the well. And we're like, let's go, let's go get you. And they, we joined the group and we jumped down and we'd wipe out the ghouls and we'd resurrect them and get their stuff back and then send it back out, you know, and we just would do that for hours. So that, you know, if you want the most fun about being a cleric, you know, go help, go help new, go help newbies. You know, I don't know if that still works. I don't even have any idea if they you can still help newbies in EverQuest like you could. Like if they bound if they bound the buffs and stuff like that. If you could still do the same thing, yeah. 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 Oh and man. Funny you just mentioned those two zones. We were just there. Uh in mm. the last two sessions, both on rest and befallen. Yeah, <laughs> well they were they were popular dungeons, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and they weren't I forget the the Knoll dungeon that was that had that big sort of center crater. Blackboro. Um, Blackboro. Oh my God. And like what a nightmare trying to get through that zone was. Like that's so complicated. Those those three-dimensional dungeons that they had. Guck, right? <laughs> Upper and lower guck were just miserable. Cause it's you just they're so hard to navigate. There's no map that can show you how to get through that place. So 
you know, well, hey, Mike, we, we really appreciate it. And I want you to plug kind of some of your stuff here. So take a moment to plug whatever it is you want to plug. And uh, again, from the whole team here, thank you for, for coming on. Today. Oh, so, as you can tell, it's so much fun to just wax nostalgia about EverQuest. Like it was such a big, it was such a big time in my life, right? Like I literally have this like eight year period of time where I just played the hell out of that game. And it, it was, you know, I, like I said, like, you know, I, I often joke like, well, what did you get from that? I'm like, well, I got married, right? Like I met my wife there. My, my wife played a big strapping male barbarian and we became fast friends and hung out together. Yeah. And I had no idea. I had no idea that there was a woman on the other end. Right. And we met at a convention and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I kept thinking like, would I have treated her differently if she had played a female character? And would we ever have gotten married that way? Because we had this like year long relationship without knowing the gender of the person on the other side of the screen. Wow. wow yeah so it was, it was a wild it was a wild time so yeah like you know yeah but plugging all my stuff is available at slyflourish.com if you want to see all my 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 everquest stuff is what i'm totally you know totally devoted to now all my all that energy i put in everquest switched over to D and um yeah uh, you know my, my book return to the lazy dungeon master is pretty popular way to help dms run you know, spend, make it easier for them to, I'm always trying to help people out, right? Just like I was helping people out of request. How do you, how do you get people where you have busy lives and, 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 and children and wives and, and husbands and everything? How, how can you prep a D&D game in less time? And that book tries to, tries to help people do that. Uh, and then I just put out a book with two, two friends of mine, uh, James Intercasso, who I mentioned before, um, and a editor who works for Wizards of the Coast named Scott Fitzgerald Gray. The three of us got together and put out a book called Fantastic Layers. Uh, which are 20, 23 layers that you can drop into your D&D game at, 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 at any level. And yeah. uh, I got all your books probably... and I Yay. recommend them. Yeah, I, I recommend <laughs> them. You. It saved me a lot of time for sure. So I, yeah. I definitely caught my eye, The Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. I think I, I, I really, yeah. I, I, with Anthony, my, uh, he, he's you know trying to lure us and push us into, or pull us into Do D&D. It. And we've had some- I, I love EverQuest. D&D is so much better. We had great so adventures. <laughs> I had a bard, uh, Don Pedro. Do you remember Don Pedro? I uh, do. He got eaten by a dragon, but we're not going to talk Yay. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible roles. Uh, uh, do a campaign one day or something. Yeah, play yeah, it. Yeah. 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 You'd be like, you're all on a wall, you know, <laughs> killing <laughs> killing one monster after a time for 10 experience points. <laughs> Get you have to, 4, and you'll be level two. <laughs> this session is going to be 40 hours long of just 40 hours. <laughs> right. I bet there are D and D sessions like that. Yeah. There's some, there's some brutal marathon D and D sessions. <laughs> but I, uh, I definitely want to check out that one. The return of the lazy dungeon master, especially for us who don't have a lot of time to set it that's, up. That's yeah. That's it's uh yeah. And there's lots of previews and everything. So you can sort of get an idea right. what's in, what's in yeah. the book. Yeah. So everybody listening, that's, it's also available on Amazon, both as audiobook yep. and paperback. Yep. And it's available on everything epub moby you can play it on you know kindle any any device you've got you can get return of the lazy dungeon master on awesome so well hey again mike thanks for being here oh thank, you. thank you such a uh, pleasure yeah no anytime and, and we look forward to you know seeing you around hopefully uh maybe we'll get you to play one session of everything I've, I've logged in I've, I've, I've been in like a year or so ago i logged in i was like what's going on Make a gnome. You have to make a gnome. Yeah. No, I'm sticking with Laurel. Laurel, Laurel, circle forever. Yeah. There we go. So, and everybody back home, uh, thank you for listening to this special episode of Return to EverQuest, and thank you for joining us all here today. Again, we hope that we earn your subscription, your five star rating, or review. And as always, we'd love to hear from you directly. You can reach us on Twitter, twenty four seven at Return to EQ. That's Return the number two EQ. 
We look forward to continuing this journey with you all. And we'll see you next time on our regular scheduled podcast, which releases in a week from now. So the Gnome Cruise adventure will continue. It's time to camp. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Thank you.